we lead the world in facing down a threat to decency and humanity. What is at stake is more than one small country. It is a big idea, a new world order. But we can no longer risk emergency improvisation of national defense. We have been compelled to create a permanent armaments industry of vast proportions. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. Listening to the Alchemical Tech Revolution, and I am your host, Wayne McCroy. Good evening, everyone. Tonight we're going to discuss spiritual warfare. We're in the midst of some very serious spiritual warfare right now. Our world is in dire straits. We're on the rocks, and we need to stand up and fight this battle the proper way. And it's not a physical battle. Not strictly a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle. And there are things going on in spiritual places, in in the spiritual world, right now, that we can't see or perceive. But it is, in fact, there, behind the scenes of everything happening today. And we need to be prepared to endure that spiritual battle. That is what it's about. It's about endurance. We, we see this all happening in the world around us today. And we also see something going on I need to speak about within the truth community. This quote-unquote truther community, or whatever you want to call it. There's been an awful lot of infighting, and you know this one accusing that one of being a shill or some such thing. All it's doing is creating more divisiveness and division. And I don't really have much else to say about that. But what I do have to say about it is we need to stop sniping at each other with a lot of these different things going on. The problem is we're in the midst of this spiritual battle. And there's many of us out there who have decided to kind of be a public voice in this whole situation, in this whole scenario. There's certain people whose message resonates with you and certain ones that don't. But the thing is, we have a common enemy. So we need to have a united front against the true problems going on in the world today. Not just concerned about this one is selling such and such a thing and, you know, is making money this way or that way. Let's let's be unequivocally clear here, all right? There's nothing wrong with somebody making some money. 
okay? Now, I could tell you, just from all the work and stuff I've done, it takes a lot of time uh, to put in the study and production into something like this. I mean, even something as simple as a, a simple podcast or, or, you know, talking on the radio or on the internet, uh, it takes a lot of work. And also in writing books and, and producing other materials and stuff like that, creating any type of content that people may or may not want to listen to, especially as it pertains to the state of the world today and actually trying to dig down to get to the roots of problems. And, and here's the, the thing. All of us in this community and all of us just in general, we are all fallible beings, okay? We're, we're human beings. We make mistakes. We see things the wrong way. We have our own personal biases. And sometimes we get overly critical of other people's work or materials that don't necessarily line up with what our own worldviews are. But the time is not now for us to start infighting about this stuff, or it's okay to disagree. We could respectfully disagree with one another, and it's okay to question things. But at the same token, when it becomes just where the content that's that's getting out there is just this one attacking that one, it gets to the point where it's it's not productive anymore. It's not serving a good purpose. Those who are the enemies of our souls out there, those out there pushing these big agendas in the world today and the things that they want, this is exactly what they're looking for. They want us to implode and turn upon each other and create this type of infighting. It's the whole Hegelian control scheme once again. Get us fighting back and forth amongst ourselves, and then in the meantime, they go ahead and they push their own agendas. Now, I'm not going to say much more about that. I don't have a beef with anybody out there. I just do my very best to research the materials and stuff that I, I research here and put out good information for people. And am I wrong sometimes? Yes, I am. I'm a fallible human being, and I would encourage everybody, you need to go out and find things out for yourself. Study for yourself. Research for yourself. Use your brain. The good Lord gave you reasoning and intellect, and he wants you to use that. So that being the case, we need to be prepared to deal with these spiritual things going on in the world because that's what's happening behind the scene. It's a spiritual manipulation going on at a very high level. And nobody's immune to it. Nobody. Nobody's 100% right all the time. We are all susceptible to this deception and to being misled and that that's the whole key right there and sometimes we're wrong and it doesn't matter how genuine you are or how wholeheartedly you really firmly believe the things that you're looking at sometimes we're wrong we we misperceive things we have a different vantage point or point of view from other people we don't always all see eye to eye and that's part and parcel of many of the things that go on but what is going on is there's strong spiritual influences out there that are manipulating and taking advantage of our human weaknesses and steering us in wrong directions. And we need to be prepared to stand and endure to the end because that's the promise. He that endureth to the end, that'll be the one that sees the ultimate reward or the ultimate good. He who endureth to the end. And it's not going to be an easy road for many of us. I know 
you know, people don't want to hear that. Everybody likes to find the easy way to do things, and there is no easy way. Sometimes you just have to put the work in or the effort. It's, it's not, not always a bed of roses for sure. But anyway, tonight we're going to explore the idea of putting on the whole armor of God. Uh, because this is important. So we're going to start here and we're going to read in Ephesians chapter 6. And I'm going to jump around a little here. We're going to go through some Bible verses. And I'm actually going to read a little something from Manly P. Hall. And we're going to tie all of this together and try our very best to equip ourselves for this spiritual battle that we're all undertaking right now. And, and make no mistake about it, no one's immune. Okay, even if you're just wholeheartedly go along with the whole system and the whole game, you're still in that state of spiritual conflict. That spiritual battle is still going on because there's something inherent in human beings. We inherently strive for spiritual things. We have this drive, this need for spiritual things. If you don't have God to fill that vacuum, you will seek something else. A false god, so to say, to fill the vacuum, of which there are many. And many people actually buy into materialism or scientism or, or science to try to fill that void. But it's it never quenches the thirst, folks. It never quenches that thirst, that spiritual thirst. So anyway, let's let's get into the reading here. Ephesians chapter six. We're gonna start at verse ten. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. A lot to unpack there. We need to have certain preparations in place to do spiritual battle. These verses here lay it all out as to what it is we need. We need this whole armor of God. And there's several different pieces of armor that it mentions specifically here as the armor of God. So the allegory here, what it's telling you, is we need to have these things. And each of these pieces of armor represents something else other than a piece of armor. But it is true. So it says here, the first thing it says is, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. So we need the girdle of truth about us. And that is what we all strive to find in this world. Truth. Jesus said, you, will, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Those that are trying to seek truth are finding that sometimes it's very hard to ascertain what it is, isn't it? That's why those in the power structure, in these controllers of the world, these wicked powers in high places, they do their very best to obfuscate the truth. It's very hard sometimes to 
discern what is true and what's not true, especially in this day and age. The deception is high. We are in the age of deception. With the advent of all these technologies, it's very difficult to determine what's what's true and what's false anymore. But what you can stand upon is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the firm rock, the foundation upon which we can stand. Aside from that, other things in this world will come and go. And the Bible says, all these things will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And that's what we need to keep in mind here. There are many things in this world that present a false truth to people. And we see that going on in society today. And if enough people believe it to be true, in some sense, it becomes true to a certain degree. But that is not absolute truth. That is not the truth. The one truth that we can believe on is that God gave his only begotten son for us so that we could have a way. And that you could stand upon. That is the one truth you can stand upon. He knows that in our human fallibility and in just in our, our human power, we can't really do it on our own. So he made a way for us, and he gave us an intercessor. Seek out God. That, that's another thing in the scripture. It says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Prioritize God first in your life. A relationship with God. And I'm not talking about hokey religion where you, you go to church every Sunday and you, you follow the... The, the ritual and the pomp and circumstance of everything and put your money in the offering plate and all, all of the hoopla that goes with that. That's not what it's about at all. It's about a one-on-one -on -one relationship with God. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And all he desires is for you to reach out to him and seek that relationship with him. And that is the one truth in this world you could depend upon, that relationship with God. You could put your faith and your trust in him. Okay, that is the one truth you can put your trust and faith in, God, and he will see you through. He has promised to do so. He's never failed me, folks, never failed me. So that, that's the first piece of the armor of God is the girdle of truth. So you can have that truth. You could stand upon that foundation of truth that God is for you and he's with you. So if God is for you, who can stand against you? And if you keep that point of view in mind, it'll help you to stand firm in that evil day. So in this convoluted world where truth seems fleeting, the one truth you could truly stand upon is that relationship with the Lord. So that's the truth that we speak of here. So if you have that, the, the next step it says here is having on the breastplate of righteousness. Well, if you have a relationship with God, you'll seek to do those right things and good things. And there's a lot of good people in the world, folks, and we have a basic inherent understanding of right and wrong ingrained in our souls. Whether people want to believe that or not, we do. We understand that. We know when we do something wrong. And if we just seek to do that which is right, we do the right things, those things that we know that are right, then we will have this breastplate of righteousness. I live my life by one simple creed. If you know something's the right thing to do, do it. And everything else is ancillary to that. So if you go about doing good, people see that. If you seek to, to do good things and you, you just seek to, to just be decent to people. I mean, that's what it's all about. 
Just be decent to one another. You don't have to like everybody, but treat them with respect and dignity. Be decent. You know, uh, it, it's like just have some manners and common decency towards people. And if you don't have something nice to say, don't say it at all. It's commonsensical stuff, really, when it comes down to it. If you seek that relationship with God, you'll want to do right and good by not only God, but by other people. Because that's how people will see the Spirit of God at work. So anyway, so we have that then. That would be the breastplate of righteousness. And it says here also, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That, my friends, is probably one of the most important things. The gospel of peace. Now, he's not talking about going out and, and telling people, oh, if you don't accept Christ as your Savior, you're going to hell. That's not what he's talking about, all right? That's not the gospel of peace. That, if anything, just drives people further away from wanting to come into relationship with God or right relationship with God. That's not what that means, okay? When he's talking about the gospel of peace, what that means is you go about not seeking to stir up trouble, not looking to go out and, and swat a hornet's nest with a baseball bat, so to say. You don't go out looking for trouble. You don't go and poke the angry bear with a stick. That's, that's not what that's about. The gospel of peace. You want to maintain not only right relationship with God, you need to try your best to maintain right relationship with other people. People aren't always agreeable. Let's face it, it's, it's not always easy to love the unlovely or, or to offer peace to somebody you can't stand. Make this effort towards maintaining the peace with somebody you can't stand. And we all have our biases, like I said. But this is the important thing. We don't go about seeking trouble. All right, we go about seeking peace. Peaceful coexistence with others. Which means, sometimes, you don't always agree with a person's viewpoints or their beliefs or, or things like that. But you know what? Still be civil with them. You can still be friendly with them and on good terms with them and be civil with them. And you don't have to try to beat them over the head with your beliefs. Because you know what? All that does is drive a wedge further between people. It creates more division. That's not how going about seeking peace works. That's not the preparation of the gospel of peace. The things you do, people will see this. So if you, if you go out and you're confrontational, that doesn't really present the gospel of peace, does it? Now, it's not to say we shouldn't voice our opinions, especially when we see evil, because I do believe that it is our mandate in this world. That God has given us the mandate to expose evil where we see it. We, we go about that not in a way that's confrontational when it's not necessary. The gospel of peace. This is allowing people to understand. The true message is get your heart right with God. So we don't go around judging others and we don't go around being confrontational and going on the attack of people. Uh, we don't necessarily have to go around pushing our views on people. Just show by your actions what your viewpoints are, and people will question you about them. And then you could actually explain your views in a non-confrontational way. That's what it is. It's, it's walk the talk, okay? So if we go about and we walk the talk, and we don't go around and be confrontational and try to be pushy and overly aggressive with things, 
then that would be the gospel of peace, wouldn't it? You lead by example. You don't just go around trying to convert other people to your point of view, because that usually ends badly. really does. Then it says next here in, in verse 16, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. This is also an important piece of the armor of God, the shield of faith. Because here's the thing, when you have that strong faith that God will not forsake you or leave you, that he's got your back, he's got your best interests in mind, he'll offer you protection or he'll see you through whatever difficulties you come across. When you have that faith, that acts as your shield. And when those enemies of your soul are attacking you and you feel the pressures of this spiritual warfare upon you, you could lean upon God to shield you from those, from those attacks. He's always got your best interests in mind. He prepares the way for you. So you could have confidence that he's not going to leave you or forsake you, and he's not going to leave you succumb to these attacks. And that's the important thing to remember. We need that shield of faith so that we can withstand those attacks, so that we can stand in the evil day, so we could endure to the end. And that's where the real promise is, when we endure to the end. And it says here, And take the helmet of salvation, the helmet of salvation. This is not only the empirical knowledge that God gave his only son, that we may have a way. That's not all that that talks about. The helmet of salvation. Where, where, where does the helmet reside on the body? It covers your head, right? Your thinking. The helmet of salvation. This is to keep spiritual things in mind at all times. This helps you to understand that the things you see going on, there's a deeper level to all of them. Especially in the world today when we look around and we see just so much unreasonable nonsense going on in the world. It doesn't make sense. Well, you have to realize if you have the helmet of salvation on, you have this helmet of salvation, it gives you the, the right thought process for this so that you see and understand there's a spiritual underpinning to all of it. And if you understand the spiritual underpinning, you could be better prepared to face these things because it's not always just as cut as dry, cut and dry as physical problem, physical solution. That's not always the case. There's this spiritual aspect to things, a spiritual side. There's a spiritual realm, a spiritual world all around us. And if you have this helmet of salvation, you're a child of God. You're created in his image. And he wants to mold your mind into the image of his own. If we keep in the forefront of our mind that there's a spiritual underpinning to all of these things that are going on around us and stay constantly in prayer. And that's not to say you walk around just literally like in prayer constantly, but just constantly be in communion with the Lord. He could hear your thoughts. He knows what you're thinking. Okay, so if you just say a little prayer in your head, Lord, help me through this situation or, or whatever the case may be. And it doesn't have to be an elaborate prayer. See, that's the thing. People think praying involves you have to sit down and you have to stop what you're doing and you fold your hands and you bow your head and close your eyes and then you say all these elegant words and you say a long prayer. That's, that's how prayer works. It's not, folks. 
Uh, and the Lord spoke about this in, in the Bible, too, how the Pharisees did this. And he said, verily, you have your reward then. If you're out in the public, out there saying a prayer, well, then the public perceives you as being this holy person, this holy, righteous person, because you're out on the street corners praying and stuff like that. You have your reward, the Lord says. That's not what he's looking for. He knows your heart. He knows your mind. And therefore, he wants you to be in communion with him, to pray to him, to have him in the forefront of your thoughts. Lord, what should I do? That kind of thing, just simple. Prayer doesn't have to be complex or elegant or eloquent. Sometimes the most simple and most effective prayer is help. That's it. Sometimes that's the one that God honors the best. Because he knows. He knows. He knows what you need before you need it. Before you know what you need, I should say. So anyway, that's... So the helmet of salvation, it's important to keep God in the forefront of your thoughts. Okay? And understand, he's there to help you. He wants what's best for you. He's got a vested interest in you. No matter who you are. And you think, well, maybe I'm I'm, I'm not worthy. I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm... I've done all these wrong things. I've blasphemed God. I, I've done all of this stuff. I, I've n never been this holy person or righteous person or any of this stuff. Well, no, God values you. He loves us all. He, he sent his son so that we could have a way to get back in communion with God. He wanted that for us because he knew that in our fallible state here that we're in, we can't withstand the temptations of sin on our own without some help from above. So he sent his only son to be a propitiation for our sins so that we could have this, this reconnection with him. That's what the helmet of salvation idea is about. Keep God in the forefront of your mind. And like I said, this isn't about some hokey religious thing or something like that or going to church and giving your money in the offering plate and hallelujah, hallelujah, praise the Lord and all of that stuff going on in the church, and it's about a relationship with God. It's having a one-on-one -on -one relationship with God. Because, you see, that's the thing about God. He cares about the individual. He, know, he cares about all of us on an individual basis, on an individual level. That's why it says in the Bible, it compares it to the, the, the allegory of the, the shepherd. He has 99 sheep, but one's missing. So... He goes looking for the one lost sheep, even though he has 99 other sheep. It's the same thing with God. He cares about each of us individually. And see, he doesn't have the same limitations we do as man. So that's why it's important if we have this relationship with him, we can know he's got our back. And we can know what it is that he would like for us, what he wants for us. Sometimes in our stubbornness, we don't always listen when we hear the calling from God. I know I've been that way for many, many years. We could be stubborn. We could be pig-headed. We could want our own way, and that might not be the best way for us. And he knows a better way, but I could assure you folks, if you have a calling from the Lord, and you follow that calling, he'll bless you for it. More so than you would have ever thought. More than you could imagine. It, it's, it's truly astounding. So if you feel that tug on your heart from the Lord to do something or, or go a certain direction, be prayerful about it. Try to get your right relationship with God and do what he asks you to do. 
and you'll be surprised at how doors open up for you where there was no way before. And once again, I don't want to get too far off topic, but that all relates to the idea of this helmet of salvation as being part of the whole armor of God. Keeping the, the idea of spiritual things and of the idea of God, keeping him foremost in your mind, that's what the helmet of salvation is about. Understanding that this is a spiritual battle we're fighting. Next it says, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now this is important too. The sword of the spirit. So this is your weapon for self-defense. Because, like I said, the gospel of peace, going out with the preparation of the gospel of peace, it doesn't involve attacking people. So you use this sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, for self-defense and self-preservation. That's the point, see, in the spiritual battle. We're not out there on the attack. We're out there on the defense because it's, it's the enemy that is attacking. Because he knows his time is short, folks. And boy, is he out there ramping it up right now. His time is short. But we need to be on the defensive. We need to be on the alert. So we need to be prepared to wield this sword of the Spirit. And also, the shield of faith, more importantly. So that we can withstand and endure to the end. Withstand in the evil day. And it says here also, it says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So that's telling you, be, be prayerful. Be always in prayer, constantly in prayer. Be aware. Have this awareness of, of the spiritual ramifications of things around you. Let's go back and look at the lead-up to this. It says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So we need to understand, even though we, we always try to figure out, okay, well, who's behind this? Who are, quote-unquote, they? The ones always running the show here. Who are they? And, you know, you could name Rothschilds and Rockefellers and all these different names. Black nobility families, the Royals, uh, Bill Gates, all, you know, Anthony Fauci. All of these guys. You could name the family bloodlines, all of this. At the end of the day, yes, those may be some of the people involved in this. But from the top down, it's spiritual warfare going on. So there's a spirit behind it. There's a spirit behind the agendas of these people. These ones that we just named, all of those folks that are involved in this grand conspiracy that we always speak about. So, that being the case, we need to understand the spirit. So what can we know about a spirit? The spirit running rampant in this world right now is an antichrist spirit. May not be what we would consider the antichrist spirit, or the Antichrist, but it is an Antichrist spirit. And that means a substitute Christ spirit. It's something other than God. See, they're trying to replace your conception of God with something else. And that would be maybe technology. Hmm? Maybe materialism. Maybe science. They're oh so precious science. Or scientism. See, they offer you alternatives to God. Now, in 
the biblical sense in in uh, a lot of the old myths and stuff this would be alternative quote unquote gods with a small g they offer you well now they offer you offer you alternatives to god uh, some of those would be well like i said technology technocracy materialism hyper materialism science scientism man himself can be god they say secular humanism that could be your God. You can become God, the transhumanist notion. You can become God. And you know what? This ties right back to the original lie in the Garden of Eden. You can be as God. That's what the serpent told them. You can be as God. If you eat the tree from the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will surely not die, but you will be as God. It's the great lie, folks. It's the great lie. We are fallible, finite men. Fallible, finite man cannot adequately rule over other fallible, finite men. It's an imperfect system. See, God created us perfect in the beginning, and then we experienced what's known biblically as the fall, the fall of man. Since then, we strive for reunification with God, communion with God, to get back in that right state with God so that we can have that perfect relationship with God. Right now, it's very imperfect. It's as we see things as through a mirror darkly, as Paul says in one of the epistles. We don't see the whole picture. We're missing the spiritual world of things. And if you read into some of the apocryphal books, like the, the book of Adam and Eve, different things like that, it talks about how in the beginning when God first made man, he could see the things in the spiritual world, too, not just in the, the physical, until the, the time of the fall. And then when man fell, he was cut off from that. Cut off from the presence of God and from the spiritual world. All about reunifying us with the Spirit of God and being able to understand these spiritual things and see these spiritual things. The problem is that in the meantime here, since then, there's been a group of elitist types, family bloodlines, going all the way back as far as we could record, that have found a way to seize upon the reins of power by using some of this old knowledge against us, keeping secrets from us, using secrecy as a weapon and a mind control tool. They've obfuscated our past. We don't know what our true history is. We, we can't even know for, with, for certain what's the age of the earth. And, and this is a whole argument that uh, is an interesting one to look at. How old is the earth? Well, we really don't know. Now, our science would tell us 20 billion years ago, nothing exploded and created everything. And then uh, all of these different fragments flew out in all directions, and then they kind of just congealed together and made the earth and... It cooled down and it rained on the rocks and then, boom, all of a sudden life sprang up and everything came from this primordial soup. It doesn't make sense, does it? But that's, that's some of the claim that they make. And then there's also the claim many of the Bible believers and stuff would, the literal interpretations of the Bible would say that the earth is only about 6,000 years old. We really don't know, folks, because it depends upon your your viewpoint, your perspective, when you look at the different evidence, archaeological evidence, 
Now, uh, there's there's a lot of scientists and stuff who say, well, because of the the layers of sedimentation, we could tell such and such fossil is X amount of X hundred million years older, or however they try to determine that. But when you actually look at the roots of where they came up with these numbers, it's flawed and circular logic they're using. But then there's also those that say, well, if there was a great flood, as it says in the Bible, uh, the sedimentation could have been from the great flood. So that would mean these things are much, much younger than what you're saying. So it depends on your perspective with these different types of arguments. And this is all part of the spiritual battle, folks. I don't know which what's correct. I don't think either of those is truly correct. It's probably somewhere in the middle. We really don't know what the age of the earth is, but that's just one example of how deep this all goes, or the shape of the earth for that matter. There's a lot of people who will argue over the shape of the earth. It's an important thing to understand, I would say, because if you don't know where it is you exist, how can you know where you're going? And that that's another thing that's been obfuscated from us. But it's another thing we truly don't know the truth about. We can tell with certainty that our modern science, the way they describe it to us, is misdescribed. But beyond that, we really can't tell much else. But see, many of these things are designed in such a way that they keep us looking at the wrong thing when we need to be focused on something different. And right now, we need to be focused on this spiritual battle that we're in. But our focus and attention is everywhere else, isn't it? It's going about our daily lives, living day to day. It's about how am I going to make an income? How, what am I going to do for a job? How am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to put food on my table? We need to think and we need to focus on some important spiritual aspects of things. And we need to learn. We need to be in a constant state of learning, learning new things. Learning new things, not just spiritually, but intellectually as well, so our minds don't rot. Because if you just stare at a television screen all day, well, that stuff rots your brain, folks. It's junk food for thought. It's designed to be that way. So when you're watching television or watching movies, yeah, they're, they're a good escapism sometimes. And I enjoy watching movies or television shows or something at times, too. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the thing is, it's become so prevalent in our society that it's, it's really taken over our culture in a big way. So that being the case, it has become weaponized as a form of spiritual warfare against us. And they use it to promote different ideas and insert different archetypes into our minds. Things that affect the unconscious mind with us being unaware. So what can we know about this, and how can we know what kind of a spirit it is? We're going to look in the book of 1 John, chapter 4, where it says to test the spirits. And I'm going to read here from the New International Version, 1 John, chapter 4, verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. 
They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So, once again, there's a lot to unpack in there, isn't there? If a spirit or a spiritual idea supports the idea that Jesus came here in the flesh and was the Son of God, then that is the Spirit of God. But anything contrary to that would be a spirit of Antichrist or something promoting an alternative to God. So it's important that we have this discernment, and it's important that we have this whole armor of God. We can't be dependent upon other human beings to be able to discern for us. Discernment comes from yourself, and it comes from God. It's, it's God can give you the discernment that you need to understand and to see through some of the deception. But you're not going to have that discernment unless you have right relationship with him so that you can put on the armor of God and withstand, withstand the deceptions, the attacks. I think we're going to take a look into a little writing from Manly P. Hall next, and we'll compare and contrast a little bit of notes here. This is one of his lectures. The dweller on the threshold. The passing of the dweller. And this, this hits upon some of the rituals they observe in the secret societies, folks. And the why behind they do these things. Or, or what it is that they believe. And we'll compare and contrast this with what the Bible has to say when we're done here. Writers like Manly P. Hall, a lot of times they, they pepper a lot of truth in the things they're saying but they put just enough poison in there. It's important that we read all of this stuff. It, we need to read and understand everything to understand the point of view that these people come from. But we also need to have enough discernment to be able to throw out the garbage and keep the good bits of it. And this goes for anything. This goes for anything. Because there's always some value to be garnered from just about everything. So that's the thing. You keep what's valuable and discard the rest. So we're going to read this, The Passing of the Dweller. The first great step in the initiation of the ancients was the passing of the strange monster that dwelt on the line between the physical and spiritual worlds. The children of light were told that they could never go forth into distant lands or earn the wages of master builders until they faced with courage and resolved the demon that dwelt ever with them, but was invisible until they sought to awaken within themselves the subtle forces of which he was composed. Most people do not meet this fearful figure until at the time of death their intelligence functions for a short time on the borderland of life and death, so-called, which is his dwelling place. There he crouches, the thing you have built, with the sins of the flesh, and the crimes you committed in darkness, a fearful specter of unearthly terror, the sum total of perversion, the aggregate of misused force and perverted talents. Have you ever stopped to think that the things that you do unwisely will sometime confront you like accusing judges and bar your way to the light that you will someday recognize and seek to serve? And I'm going to pause there, folks. First, he's talking about initiation, they talk about initiatory processes. This is why they use trauma-based mind control techniques to initiate people. 
That's what it is when you see a mass ritual like what 9-11 was. It was an initiation. It says here that the children of light were told that until they went ahead and overcame this, this dweller on the threshold, that they could never go forth into distant lands. And this is speaking of astral projection and things like that within the occult, folks. That's what that means when they're talking about going forth into distant lands. And then it says here, or earn the wages of master builders. Well, they're talking about building the temple of the soul. This dweller on the threshold idea. Well, it's a conglomerate of all of our sins. See how they acknowledge sin as a real thing? This lends credence to the things said in the Bible. So if the, the secret societies acknowledge sin as being a real thing and a problem and something that we have to answer for, that tells us something, doesn't it? It tells us, first of all, there's a God that we are answerable to. They're aware of this, but yet somehow they manipulate people and steer them away from this God. What they're not telling you is that they're giving you a false way to deal with the sin. An impossible way, a way that no man can do without help from above. So it's giving you an alternative to God. Because they, they fervently believe, these uh, secret society groups, these ones that consider themselves the philosophers of fire, they fervently believe that they could work out their own salvation through gnosis or knowledge or through occult attainment. They believe that they can overcome this sin problem by themselves, without help from above. It's an alternative to God. It's an alternative Christ, an antichrist spirit. That's what these secret society groups teach. That's what the occult teaches. You can be God. You can save yourself. How many times have, have you heard, there's no one coming to save you, you have to save yourself? That's an antichrist spirit. That's not from God. God made the way for us. We don't have to fumble in the dark and try to find our way ourselves. We don't have to do that. We can't do that. That's always doomed to failure. They make all these promises in these secret societies, but they're all empty promises. They never come to fruition. It always ends in failure. They'll never admit that, though. They want you to think that they have some wise initiate out there or some wise adept out there who has overcome this physical world by using the knowledge, the ancient knowledge of alchemy. Now, there may be some true aspects to alchemy, but what they're offering you is not from God, is it? So that being the case, that's the antithesis of what some of the original teachings of alchemy or natural science were. Because these things lined up with how nature works and how God works. And most of the alchemists of old wholeheartedly acknowledged God and started all of their works with prayer. But much of this has become perverted through time. And all of these teachings now, what they offer is an alternative to God. They do dance around the ideas present in the Bible within these secret society groups to try to lend some credence to themselves. But you know what? At the end of the day, they're leading people astray because of how perverse some of these teachings and stuff have become. Because they were inspired by these spiritual forces of wickedness in high places. Anybody who seeks power over others is not operating in the spirit of God. 
understand that. Anybody who's seeking control or power over others is not operating under the Spirit of God. They're operating under a different spirit, an antichrist spirit. Your average person just wants to live their life, have a good life, provide for their family, and have it just be left alone. Leave me alone. You know what I'm saying? Just leave me alone. Just to live my life and be happy and fruitful and prosperous. And to love my family, love my friends. And live a peaceful life. That's all most people want. Now, there is that that small group in this world that strive to be the master builders, you see. They want control over everything, all aspects of life. They want to be the big cheese. They want to call the shots. They want to control other people's lives. They want to tell people what they can and cannot do. From these people, step away. That's an antichrist spirit for sure. God is a gentleman. He doesn't force himself or coerce himself upon you. If you don't want anything to do with him, he'll stand back. Let's read on here and see what else Manly P. Hall has to say here about the dweller on the threshold. And this is a really actually interesting idea, and I think it's an important concept for people to really look at, the dweller on the threshold. Far back, when man first sinned, this creature was born, and cried out from the blood of the first of God's children that was slain. Hate and fear, jealousy and greed, passion and lust, thoughtlessness and crime. All these have fed it in every human being until today man carries with him an all-powerful thing, reared and nursed by the worst that is in him, a beast-like demon ever spurring him on to crime and perversion, ever tempting him through the medium of habit to sink back into the mire of degeneracy from which he is crawling so painfully. This is the guardian of the threshold. You have never seen him yet, but every day you are fighting him, struggling to be free from the coils of sin, which are his manifestation. Every time you master an unworthy trait of character, you are passing the dweller on your threshold. For you are divided from the world of spirit by your sins, and when you master your own mistakes and do right where you did wrong before, sin becomes less of an obstacle until at last you are able to face this creature for the last time, and among the subtle ethers of the higher world, struggle with the dragon of karma, until at last you vanquish him, and bathing in his blood become immortal. For energy is the blood of the dweller, and he is built of the energy you have wasted or misused. And I'm going to pause there again, folks. The concept of the dweller on the threshold. Well, this is all our sin. See, all of our sin, which Manly P. Hall and and all of these other fraternities, they acknowledge sin. They understand that wrong action creates wrong energy, and that wrong energy stays there to haunt you. You feed the devil when you sin. And he comes back to remind you of it. The accuser, Satan, Satan, the accuser. He comes back to bite you with the things you've done, you personally. But here's the good news. We don't have to have that burden upon us. We don't have to have this dweller on the threshold. Because you see, God gave his only begotten son. 
that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So what Manly P. Hall says here is, it's only when you finally face this dweller and overcome all of your sin, when you finally vanquish all of your sin and karma that's built up through the years, and you do only good, where you made mistakes and did wrong things before, where you do only right, then, then you vanquish this dweller on the threshold and bathe in his blood to become immortal. For the energy is the blood of the dweller, and he is built of the energy you have wasted or misused. There's more important concepts and, and esoteric ideas tied into this. The idea of blood, first and foremost, blood is tied to the idea of the soul or consciousness. Your consciousness and soul resides in the blood. But what he's claiming is this is achieving salvation yourself. By perfecting yourself and overcoming sin yourself. Here's the problem with that. You may struggle with sin, and, and at some point you may overcome one particular sin, and that's good, but that doesn't negate all of that sin that you've done in the past. So this is a false promise that Manly P. Hall's given there. You can't achieve immortality that way, folks. It's a free gift. It's the gift of God. We all have an immortal soul. It's just a matter of where where is it going to reside? What's going to happen with your immortal soul? Are you doomed to repeat these different karmic ideas over and over again? Are you doomed to some type of punishment? None of us truly knows the answers. And that's wherein it gets confusing and, and convoluted because people buy into some of these things that these occultists teach them, these ideas. And the archetype here that's inherent here with the dweller on the threshold, it's got some true aspects to it. But at the same time, it's also telling you that it's possible for man to achieve something man has never accomplished in all of his existence. To be able to completely overcome all sin through his own power. It's never happened, folks. Find me a sinless man. Anywhere. No such thing. The only one was Jesus Christ. The only one without sin. Let's read on and see what else he has to say here. We're going to go a little bit further through this. The dweller differs from the elementals and nature spirits insomuch as while the latter live in these ethers, they are a creation in themselves and float about in these essences. While the guardian is attached to man and never leaves and grows or diminishes with the sins of the individual of whom it forms a part. The guardian of the threshold is really the sin body of all creatures who have individual intelligence. Man is the only creature that we know, but there are many others in nature. The planet Mars is the sin body of the solar god and is therefore his guardian of the threshold. But the deity has transmuted this power into the dynamo of the solar system. Those who would serve their god safely and join the little band of immortals must master their own sins, and the price of entrance into the temple is the conquest of our own lower natures, for we cannot serve both god and mammon. To force one part of the organism to develop spiritual powers while another side of the nature is a servant to abuse and material things is to bring upon yourself insanity and death. 
Therefore, before you take the true path of discipleship, you must have a long talk with yourself and see how many of the things of your lower nature you are allowing to tie you to earth. Then begins the great battle, so often symbolized in the religious ceremonials of the ancients from the ashes of the flaming conflict. The higher nature rises and becomes one with the spirit of light. This is the mystery of the crucifixion and the inner meaning behind the third degree of the Masonic Rite. In a little way, it is played out in life every day, but at last it helps, it all heaps together and must at last be faced as a decision made. Then it says here the sins of the flesh. While any of the following traits are left in man's nature, he has no right to seek first-hand knowledge on spiritual subjects. going to pause there, folks. Let's read that again. While any of the following traits are left in man's nature, he has no right to seek first-hand knowledge on spiritual subjects. So what Manly P. Hall is saying here <laughs> is that if you have any sin in you whatsoever, you have no right to seek spiritual things. This is the antithesis of what Christ taught. Let all men come to me. Who did Jesus hang around with? Well, he hung around with the sinners, right? He didn't hang around with the Pharisees and all of those supposedly righteous, holy men. So anybody telling you that if you have any type of sin in your heart, or if you struggle with sin in any way, that you're not worthy to seek these spiritual matters or to achieve enlightenment or pursue this avenue of thought. That's another example of how this is an antichrist spirit because, you see, the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's why Jesus came as a propitiation for that sin, to make a way for us because we had none. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Let he is who, who is without sin cast the first stone. Jesus made that challenge when he was here. When the, the woman who was caught in adultery was brought before the people, and it was traditional in those days that she should be stoned to death. And Jesus said, Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And the crowd slowly dispersed and left, and then she was just standing there with Jesus, and he said, Woman, where are your accusers? And they were gone. So he said, If they're not going to condemn you, neither will I. Go and sin no more. See, that's, that's how much God loves us. He knows that we fall, that we sin, that we're imperfect, that we need him. We need his forgiveness. We need his help. We need his love. That's how much he loves us. He'll tell us, Okay, you did wrong. But you know what? I'm not going to condemn you for it. Go forth and sin no more. That's a far cry from this, isn't it? This is telling you that if you have any of these traits, if you have any of this sin in your heart or your life at all, you're not worthy of these spiritual things. That's why they view us as little more than animals, folks. They think they're so much more intelligent and advanced and spiritually adept than all of us in these secret society groups especially at the highest levels. Now, most of the people in the lower levels, they have no clue what they're involved with. They just think they're, they're doing good things or they want to get a square deal down at the car dealership. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's why most of them get involved. Anyway, 
Let's continue reading what Manly P. Hall says here. He says, This does not mean that he should not study, but he must keep away from occult things that will work upon his superphysical nature and organism. All of the following things build and strengthen the power of the dweller. Hate, fear, greed, excitement, anger, sorrow, emotionalism, passion, lust, dishonesty, selfishness, egotism, dislikes, sulking, lying, pride, attachment, contention, argument, demands. All students are subject to these failings. That is expected, and there is no special disgrace in having them, for only the gods are without fault, and mayhaps they err sometimes. But until these problems have been honestly faced and worked out, no one has the cosmic right to dabble in those things that lie behind the veil that divides this world from the others. There are things we must meet and tests we must face, and our usefulness depends upon how we meet and master them. For every one of these faults makes us useless to the great ones who so badly need help from the world of men. And I'm going to pause there, folks. So he's saying, unless we, we master these things, we're useless to the great ones who so badly need the help from the world of men. Well, if these great ones are so great, and who are these great ones? These would be what they call ascended masters. Well, if they're so great, why do they need help from the world of men? Anyway, let's read on. What kind of universe would we live in if our gods were subject to the failings listed above? If the sun should get mad, or the masters begin to run things according to their own egotism, what would happen to us? All right, then. If we want to reach positions of trust, we must be as passionless, patient, and kind as the gods themselves. What is more, no one ever reached the position of mastery any other way than by passing the guardian of the lower nature and transmuting to creative powers the sins listed above. Gonna pause there now, folks. So he's telling you a true thing there. No one has ever reached the position of mastery. <laughs> but, uh, you know, what he's also telling you here is he says, any other way than by passing the guardian of the lower nature and transmuting to creative powers the sins listed above. Man is not capable of doing that himself, folks. So he's telling you a true thing there. But I think he was so deluded and enamored of all of these teachings and all of these ideas, these philosophies, that he really honestly thought he was enlightened i guess to some degree i wonder if he ever lied or if he had pride hate fear greed excitement i wonder if he ever got excited about anything i wonder if he had any passion because he's claiming all of these things wonder if he ever argued with anybody or had contention with people or made demands of anyone all of these things he says these are are sins that need to be transmuted. And this could only be achieved by conquering your lower nature. See, once again, it's the idea of separating the spiritual from the physical. We're not perfect. We can't be perfect. We have this lower sin nature, so to say, because of the fall, because of the fall of man. We need reunification with God in order to correct that problem. 
though they are offering alternative ways to do so, or so they claim. And that's where we need to be savvy with a lot of this, because many of the things they teach, many of the ideas they put out there, they do have some merit to them or truth behind them. But it's sprinkled with just enough poison to make it bad. Okay, because it's offering you an alternative to God. You know what? The creator of this universe, there's no alternative to him. Not one that will get you there. Not one that will get you back to, into communion with him. And they're trying to offer you something else, an alternative to that. A created thing cannot be greater than its creator. And they're trying to tell you that uh, man can transmute himself and become God. Man can do things better than God. And they'll claim that's because man's created in his image, but man was intended to go beyond what God is. And man will be greater and will become God. And these are the kinds of things they teach, but no created thing could ever be greater than its creator. Here we are. Now, man has built and created a lot of really interesting and potent and wonderful things, right? Well, here's the difference between man and God. Man can create all of these different things, but you know what? He can only create it with what materials are already here, that our creator created and put here. So there's the big difference. Man cannot create something out of nothing. There's the big difference. We can only work with what is here, what has been provided to us, by our creator, by God. Okay, And these people seem to think they could do better. They can't. They teach that they could become God. They cannot. They can't do that. Sorry. It's a lie. So, that being the case, we've looked at the discernment of the spirits. And we know that some of this convoluted stuff they teach is what we would consider an antichrist spirit. A spirit contrary to the spirit of God or the spirit of Christ. One that's an alternative to God or Christ. That's what they teach. It's an alternative. But you know what? It's not an alternative that works, folks. It's a lie. And when the foundation is based on a lie, well, the whole thing will at some point come crumbling down, won't it? Like I said, the only true thing we could really discern and know in this world is that God wants to have right relationship with man and wants man to have right relationship with him. And we can seek that. And we can have that. And if we have that, we could stand upon that truth as a foundation and know and know in our hearts in our minds, that God has our back. That God has promised he'd never leave us or, nor forsake us. That God will make a way for us where there was none. And all we have to do is put our trust and faith in him. And have that right relationship with him. And in so doing, we put on the whole armor of God so that we could stand in the wicked day or the evil day. And aren't we approaching the evil day? Aren't we in the evil day? And he who endureth to the end, he is the one who will see the great reward. That's what our mandate is. We're to call out evil where we see it. We're to stand in the gap 
against it. We're to put on the whole armor of God so that we can withstand in the evil day. That's the important point here. We need to have all of these different functioning aspects of our faith. We need the shield of faith. We need to be have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We need to have the girdle of truth about us, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, which we use only in defense, folks. That's the point. I mean, that goes with the whole uh, preparation of the gospel of peace idea. We don't go forth looking for trouble. We don't go out attacking people. We don't go out judging people or trying to convince people that they're going to hell if they don't believe such and such. That is not helpful. The gospel of peace requires that we just go about doing good. And people will recognize the good that we do. Lead by example. Show people rather than tell people. Going out and telling people, if you don't believe such and such or you don't do this or that, you're going to burn in hell. Well, that's not winning anybody over, is it? That's not how you go about it. Go about doing good. And at some point, people will recognize there's something different about you. And they'll want to find out what that is. And maybe they'll ask you. And maybe you could tell them a little something. Anyway, that's kind of the whole idea. We're in this grand spiritual battle. It's, it's really ramping up. Because the enemy, he knows his time is short. So he's doubling down on, on all his tricks and all the things he's doing. And he's doing everything in his power to lead people astray and take them down with him. And we need to be wise about this. We need to stand strong, stand firm, and endure till the end. Withstand the attacks. Attacking somebody for their beliefs or for any other reason, well, that's not going to win a spiritual battle, folks. We need to have a strong defense. We need to have that shield of faith, especially. That's the thing that will protect us, protect us most from all of these things. We need to keep these things in the forefront of our mind and understand many of the people out there, they're just as confused and lost as everybody else, as the rest of us. They have concerns like all of us do. They just want to live their lives in peace. But many of them are, are captured by that spirit of fear, that spirit of fear which is not from the Lord. That's... That's how, you know, many of these people in places of power control people. They, they use that fear motive or that fear narrative to capture people's minds and keep them scrambling about just being reactionary. And in so doing, they influence and control our behavior, and that's exactly what they're looking for. But if we recognize the spirit for what it is, as we talked about the discernment of spirits, you would recognize the spirit of fear is not the spirit of God. And if it's not the spirit of God, it's therefore a spirit of antichrist, an alternative to God. So we can't let fear dictate to us how we live our lives. If we put on this whole armor of God, we'll recognize it for what it is, and we'll be able to withstand this narrative and stand against it and stand opposed to it. 
and we could be vocal about that. But mostly, the thing we need to realize, folks, is there's a lot of us out here in in this community, and there there's a lot of us out there outside of this community that we all have this same basic understanding that something is wrong in the world, and we all have this this common enemy hanging over our head, and this this common theme opposed to us, and this common battle we're all in. It's this spiritual battle, and we need to stand together because in unity, if we stand together, there's strength in numbers, and there's a lot more of us than there are of them. So if we stand strong and firm and don't allow them to manipulate us into fighting amongst ourselves, then we could stand in a fuller way against the wiles of the enemy, against these fiery darts. But it all starts with the individual. So each one of us, each one of us has to examine ourselves and understand the only real change we could make in this world is changing ourselves and our viewpoints and our attitudes and the way we react to things. And most importantly, our relationship to our Creator, to God. We can make a true change in ourselves, and in so doing, we can change the world around us one at a time. But uh, if we stand together in unity, we could do this in a much more powerful way. So therefore, it's important for us to not let the enemy divide us and conquer us, but we stand as a united front against this common enemy in this spiritual battle. We need to put on the whole armor of God, each of us, individually, every day. We need to examine ourselves. Make sure our minds and our hearts are right with the Lord. And I see great hope in the world today because many people are waking up to the lies. To the blatant lies out there. And it had to get this bad before a lot of people woke up out of their trance, out of the days that they've been in. But I see tremendous hope. There's a lot of people out there, folks. A lot of people who are the what we would call the vast, silent majority who are, are just out there. And they're, they're getting fed up with things. And most of these people are of the mindset, they just want to be left alone to live their lives. And they usually don't care about uh, what they would call political things or this or that or the other thing. But now they're starting to stand up and take notice that they've... They've been shirking their responsibility as an adult, as a human being, as a citizen. And there's things going on as a result of that. We've been asleep at the switch for the longest time, all of us. And I'm not just talking, this isn't just the public at large. It's all of us. We're all guilty of this. We've been asleep at the switch. We've been too lazy and complacent to do anything to make a change. And now a lot of people are waking up and starting to try to make a change. And that is very hopeful. Because it's not too late. We could still turn things around. But the important thing is, make sure your heart and mind are right with God. So that you have that whole armor of God to stand against these wicked things going on in our world. To stand in integrity and say, no, this isn't right. We're going to put a stop to this right now. More of us need to do that. And I know I'm probably preaching to the choir out there, but you know what? It's important we get these kind of messages out to people. People need to understand. Now's the time. Okay, we, we need to act. We need to stand up and say no. And quit letting 
you know, these the select few people at the topmost levels of the power structure just steamroll us and do whatever in the world they want and stand idly by and let them do it. We need to stand up and say, no, we've had enough. We're not going to let you do this because it's morally repugnant and it's wrong. That's our mandate is to call out evil where we see it. But we can't effectively do that unless we have this armor of God, this whole armor of God upon us. Then we can stand and be effective at it. So that's why it's such an important message here tonight, folks. Anyway, I want to thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Come with me.
Walking baby